0: This is the official HITS Training and Consulting Podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS Radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there, we've been there too. Welcome to HITS Radio, I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Today I have one of the HITS partners with me today, Andy Wyman, how are you today, Andy?
1: I'm good, Jeff. How you doing?
0: I'm doing good. Getting ready for uh, just starting off the year here, and can't wait for uh, August when we're out in uh, balmy Phoenix and in, in Colorado. Right now, it's a little cold, so it'll be nice to be in uh, Phoenix
1: in August. Yeah, we're excited about having it at resort out there. It's going to be beautiful for everybody who comes.
0: Yep, hits uh, canine.net for any information. We're adding instructors there all the time. We got more instructors coming and adding vendors on there. So hits canine.net for any information. Uh, if you want to find out about hits in uh, Phoenix this year.
1: Sponsored by Vapor Week as well. So uh, make sure you check out Vapor Week.
0: Yep. Our lead sponsor this year. So today I, I uh, was talking to Andy about doing a podcast about becoming a trainer. And both Andy and I have had uh, the fortunate position that we've been trainers for a long time in our unit. Trained a lot of different handlers and um, that's kind of a for some people, that's the like the next logical step. Uh I think Andy and I are both on the same trajectory where we kind of peeked out once they gave us a leash and never decided to try and uh go up and be a sergeant or anything like that. So um if you're gonna be a uh, in this uh assignment for a long time, most of the time the next step is to, you know, once you've worked a dog or two, then you become the the unit trainer. And so we thought we'd spend a little bit of time today just kind of talking about what that step entails and maybe uh how you would how, how you prepare yourself for it, and then once you uh, become the trainer, what some of the hurdles are. So uh, I'll let Andy. Uh, once you go ahead and get started, and just kind of talk about how how it, how it happened for you and how that transition went.
1: Uh, well, I went to, I went through Canadian Customs School to uh, initially get a dog when I came back uh, in Broward County. There wasn't a ton of uh, dog trainers uh, here. There was a couple of dog handlers, and it was all for passive stuff. And that's what I was trained in. Uh, there was a lot of dual purpose guys that were, had aggressive response dogs, but not a lot of passive ones. So the training was different. So it kind of was on my own or maybe with one or two others that actually had the passive response dogs way back when. And and you kind of had to learn on your own. And uh, over time, uh, people uh, switched sort of preferred the uh, passive response of the canine rather than the aggressive response. And and because of that, it became a necessity almost to uh, to teach others. And uh, um, in doing that, uh, you know, you kind of get the experience of of uh, trying it out on some other people, almost like guinea pigs. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, when I did that, uh, I got uh, some experience at it, and then uh, I got in with um, uh, a, a group called MCTFT, Multi Jurisdictional Counter Drug Task Force, training out of uh, Tampa, St. Petersburg. And uh, I was uh, hired by them to go around the country and uh, and teach. It was funded by the Department of Defense. And and we went all over doing drug uh, classes all over the country. And uh, that gave me a lot of experience at it as well. And um, the department, uh, you know, needed a trainer around the same time. So I moved into that position uh, as well, but uh, just for the detection stuff. So I was just doing uh, detection for cell phones and Money and drugs and uh, all kinds of stuff. Uh, so uh, it kind of fell into it. I guess it really wasn't yeah. somebody who was there before me that I took on their position. It was kind of like uh, I had some experience at it and uh, seemed to have a pretty good aptitude for it. So um, they said, go ahead and, and start doing it. So uh, uh, luck, I guess, maybe.
0: Sure. How many dogs are you uh, overseeing right now in your training group?
1: Uh, 21 right now so
0: and then over the years with MCTFT hundreds and hundreds of dogs that you uh, spent a few days with here and there
1: yeah you know our our course was uh, just about a week long and um, had a, a day of uh, lecture and 3 to 4 days of uh, hands on training and we did about 25 or so in the class and we did that for 12 years and did probably you know 8 to eight to 12 a year. So yeah, yeah, thousands uh, of dogs seen over the time. And, you know, and and, as we'll talk about, but one of the big things was being able to see that many dogs and, and uh, hear all the different ways people train and travel the lucky of being able to travel around the country. Like uh, I did you get to uh, see other than what uh, ways of doing it other than what you were taught. So you were taught one way, but there's more than one way to get it done. So you have to have an open mind and really take in everybody else's, else's method to uh, be sure you understand it and, and, uh, yeah. and work with it, you know?
0: Yep. And I think my path was just a little bit different because in, in our unit at the time, uh, and, or I should say, we follow the Utah post, um, uh, program quite a bit. Uh, we're doing that now. So, um, in that program, you start out as a handler and then after, uh, you know, a period of time, if you're, uh, selected, then you can become a trainer. Usually that's about five years into it. And you're kind of, you know, the, the trainer is like the next step, but you've already learned, uh, at least in the Utah post system, you've learned the terminology and the training methodology. So I had I had, a, I had good trainer's in front of me that were kind of grooming me to be the next trainer Um, and then i went to uh, utah post i was out there for nine weeks um, and there was a group of brand new handlers brand new dogs Uh, then they had some uh, utah post instructors and then they had a few of us that were the instructor students we spent the whole time training with the regular instructors just kind of looking over us and giving us pointers and stuff so it was a good for us it was good Uh, for me it was good because I think we had 13, 14, 15 dogs in that uh, unit or in that uh, class. And then in the meantime, people would come in from around the metro area there in Salt Lake City uh, that were having troubles with their dogs and they could just work on any problem, just like come off the street and work on stuff. So we got to do problem solving and got to do quite a few more dogs than what we would have, you know, it would take me several years to train that many dogs in our unit. So it was a good formal. Um, way to come back with being a certified instructor and have have the time and have the dogs behind me uh ready to take that next step when I start training the the dogs in our own unit
1: so i, I think you hit the nail on the head there with two with uh you know getting lucky enough to have that kind of exposure to see that many different dogs um you know so many folks don't get that opportunity they they become the trainer and they've you know, been through their one way of doing it and then they have a limited number of dogs that are they're able to actually work with in, in their area. So because of that, you know, they don't get a lot of the exposure and it sounds like both you and I had a lot of exposure to a yeah. lot of different dogs and a, a lot of different people because that's the other yeah. facet of training as well that we'll get to as as time goes by is, uh, you know, working with uh, training a human being as well as training a dog. So it's a, it's a different process, that's for sure. So if uh,
0: if somebody was listening to this and they they're they're you know a couple of years into it, they know that this is where they want to stick for the majority of their police career. What would you tell them if they said, you know, eventually I want to be a trainer? You know, I've been a handling dog for three years. Uh, regardless whether it's patrol or an arc, the the advice will be the same. You know, bombs, whatever. What would you tell them? Uh,
1: well, again? I I think the the biggest thing is is learn as much as you can from as many different people as you can. So you know, try to get out there, um, go to as many classes, talk to as many people, read as much as you possibly can, and then get practical exposure as well uh, of of what it is you're watching and, and, and learning and talking to people about, get out there and see dogs. Uh, that's probably the most critical yeah. thing. Try to learn theory. Try to learn exactly how a dog learns and how it works, not just the techniques, not just the yeah, I was going to say that when, done.
0: Yeah, when you were talking about watching dogs, uh, don't just sit there and watch them, how they do it, and learn this is step one, two, three of how they train their dog. Pick the, the people's brain. Why are they doing it that way? What kind of success do they have? What, what kind of problems do they have? And you, know, you might find out you don't like it, but at least you're learning the theory behind why they're doing what they're doing. And if you start learning dog theory on top of it, then you can uh, apply, well, their theory is sound or it's not but at least at least learn what what their methodology is not just the the steps of how to do it
1: Yeah, you know, just as you said, there's a theory uh, of how a dog learns, and there's many techniques to get that done. And uh, don't just focus on the technique, right? Learn the theory, apply the technique to the theory, and make sure it doesn't violate any facets of the theory. And then hopefully it'll work uh, like you should, like you want it to. Techniques are, are usually created out of necessity based on a dog that they're training at that time. And, uh, or a speed, maybe something's a little faster doing something than others. Uh, but theory is always going to be theory. It's always going to apply. So, you know, try to make sure you uh, analyze all the techniques that you see other people do, uh, you know, against the theory that's uh, that's going on. And, uh, you know, learn all the different ways people do it and understand them. You know, have an open mind. Um, you know, just because it isn't what you've heard of or seen or you haven't seen dogs that worked out well that were trained that way, try to have an open mind to understand that uh, all the different ways. You'll be a better benefit to those that you train because you're going to come across those handlers and dogs that were trained differently than you. And the more you understand how that works and and, uh, what they're trying to accomplish, the the more uh, useful you'll be for them and they'll get a benefit from it. So don't pigeonhole yourself.
0: Yeah, you might only steal part of what what they're doing, but and add it into your repertoire. You might change it all over. But I think I've been fortunate. You too, I think. But I know for I've been very fortunate to have that open mind my whole career, where I'm constantly changing. As soon as you know I see something new, I don't jump on it right away, but I'll analyze it, look at it. Hopefully, usually I I'm in the position where I get to see a lot of dogs all over the place. So a lot of times I can actually see if somebody tells me this is what they do, then. Uh, I can actually usually see the dog work and see if I, if I like it and if, it, uh, if, if, if it's something I want to start incorporating into any of the dogs I train. So having that open mind and having uh, the ability just to go, even if it's just around your metro area, we kind of get in clicks all over the place. And even if you don't train only with your department, you might only train with your department and two others. So on your training night, go out and go to some training group or another department that you haven't been around and start uh, seeing how they do things and picking, picking the brains of not just the trainers, everybody there. I mean, everybody's going to have an opinion as to how it works or whatever. And it doesn't mean you have to do it. It just means you have to kind of listen and start being a sponge for all the new stuff you can possibly see.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of people go uh, to a, a training school to be a trainer and, and there's nothing wrong with that. It works fantastic. And you get a lot of exposure and, and uh, you get some great experience and, and learn a bunch um, many times it, it can be limited to training a new dog, which is great. Um, knowing how to do that, understanding how to do it, picking a good dog, what's the difference between you know, great and good and average dogs and being able to analyze that and figure that out. Because you are at a place that trains dogs, hopefully you have a lot of dogs that you get to see and you get that experience. Um, but one of the facets of being a trainer outside of that is problem solving after that initial training is done. And a lot of that is based on, um, handler skills and, and handlers, how they, how they, I don't want to say mistrained, but how they train the dog uh, inappropriately or or uh, inadvertently <laughs> trained them to do things that they weren't intending to be done, and and an unintended consequence of uh, some training that they did that you have to then go back and figure out how did that happen, where did it come about, and change not only the dog, but you'll have to also educate and train the handler uh, to be sure they don't continue with the same process. And uh, that's something that's really tough to teach um, without actually seeing it and then going through and working through the process of fixing it. And uh, many times that's, that can take a lot of time and a lot of years of looking at dogs to really get a good grasp on that, I think.
0: Yeah, and so I guess that would be my next thing. Was I'd say is that if you've uh, been selected and you're going to be the trainer, um, you know, it, say you get to go to, like you said, maybe some of the vendor training schools. To pretend on how long you're there, there's good and bad about all of them. I think uh, some of the vendor ones. The good thing is, is that you might have you know ten dogs that you're going to have to train to prove you can train them, which is a a good deal for you because you get to train dogs, and the vendor gets dogs trained for them. So there's good and bad to all those, but or if you you know if you're fortunate, you get to go to a real formal program like you know the customs, U.S. customs or uh, Canadian customs that you went to, or Utah Post or. I know some of the associations have some, uh, I know like NAPWADA, you can spend a certain number of hours with master trainers to become a master trainer yourself. So whatever road you you get on, you know, once you're done with that and you're the, the new trainer, that's where having those tools in your toolbox is going to come in real valuable for the first, because, you know, uh, luck's going to have it. You're going to need uh, something weird, the very first uh, person you're trying to train to uh, try and fix before it's not going to be exactly how it was in the training school or in your initial school
1: yeah you know and all dogs are different so like everybody says you know you got to use what you can uh for each dog to make sure they you know they react the way you want them to or learn the way you want them to but the other facet we haven't talked about is the human and training a human is is difficult as well or can be difficult at times i mean uh you know we're um cops are a bunch of alpha personalities. And, uh, you know, many times, you know, telling people what to do or that they did it good or bad or something is, uh, is difficult. And, uh, getting your message across without turning somebody off or turning them away is can be hard, uh, on occasion, yeah. not always, sometimes it's very easy, but on occasion it can be hard. So you really have to come at, uh, uh not only training the dog, but also training the person, you know, how an adult learns, um, What's the best way to communicate with them? You know, your tone and your method and all that kind of thing can really affect how people learn from you. So you wanna uh, you wanna take some time to understand that, and uh, maybe uh, go through some some instructor techniques courses and some other things to be able to relate uh, in a clear manner what you're trying to say to each person.
0: Exactly, and and the other part of that too is, uh, you know. We, you know, I think everybody's been guilty of maybe being a little hypersensitive about their dog over some issue. So, you know, you're trying to read how's this handler going to listen to what I'm saying, just in general. But how's this handler going to take if I have to criticize his dog? So, you know, you got to kind of walk around that a little bit. To you know, you got to get the job done. But I've had a few where I had to be pretty gentle about the way I described the dog. And I, you know, it might not be a dog I'd want for myself. But I always remind myself in the back of my mind. You know, in some fashion, this department's happy with this team. They like the dog. They like the handler. So, you know, I'm going to try and make it a little better, even if it's not, you know, maybe I wouldn't pick either end of the leash there. But somebody liked it. And, you know, my job as a trainer is to either fix the problem that's presented to me or make it a little better, not trying to change the whole, their whole course of action.
1: Yeah, Yep. And, and getting your message across, you know, everybody wants to learn the guy wouldn't be there if he wasn't trying to learn something and and you wouldn't be there if you weren't trying to teach something. So uh, try to always remember you two got to get on a scale to work together. And uh, 99% of the time, that's the way it works. I mean, it really does. It's very easy. It's only occasionally that's not, uh, but moreover, um, you have a lot of information to relay to a person. And, um, Whenever you're telling someone how to do something that takes physical mechanics to do, um, it can be difficult to describe. You can show them, um, you can walk them through it, but it takes a lot of repetitions and a lot of description. And uh, I liken it to getting a drink from a fire hose. You're gonna get a drink, but a lot of what comes out of that fire hose is just gonna go past you. And uh, as the trainer, you have to know how big a bite of information that you can give each person so that they can understand it and then apply it and then move on. And they have to apply it with enough reps and enough, um, skill that you know they've got it down and then you can move on to the next one and sometimes it can be very short and sometimes it could take a little longer each person's different each dog's different but you have to be able to see your um tipping points you know when you've reached the time to move on and when you need to continue and that that is difficult um it's it's not like um what am i trying to say it's not uh it's not like rocket science, but you have to have seen it and you have to see it and recognize it. And, and that's something to focus on when you're watching uh, the dog. So, uh, and the handler when they work together, know when the person has got your point and when it's time to move on to the next point and have a plan. Um, you know, if you're training someone, try to have a plan of. Uh, the step by step process you're gonna go through to give them information have them comprehend it and then perform the task in the physical mechanism that you have yeah. to do uh, in working a dog so and that's
0: a great that's a great point you bring up is the plan and hopefully in whatever manner you became an instructor whether like I, all the different options you know that we list out plus there's lots more hopefully in that either you know the the, the entity that that gave you your instructor certificate provided you with a uh, outline or a syllabus that they suggest, or you at least have the tools now to, to sit down and do, you know, some type of syllabus. And I think that's pretty important. And I, I like doing that because uh, then if you have a brand new handler and maybe you're a new trainer and the handler's not sure if you know what you're doing, when I'll show them the whole syllabus, here's what we're going to try and get done every week. You know, we might fall a little behind or get a little ahead, but here's, here's our plan. So at least they, they understand where they should be at and they don't just think maybe you're just pulling stuff out of thin air, trying to, trying to get through something.
1: That's a very good point. Very good point. You, the, the point that I picked out of that that what I really liked was confidence You know, um, if you are a a new handler and you lose confidence or don't have confidence in the person that's teaching you, you will reluctantly follow what they tell you. Uh, You've got to believe that the person who's teaching you is teaching you the right way for you then to follow wholeheartedly. Uh, the instructions that you're going to get give, you're going to be given so uh, as an instructor you have to come off confident you have to be confident in what you're telling them and you have to uh, uh, show them that uh, what you're doing works and uh, that you know what you're talking about and if it's not just so much in showing them a dog or how you work a dog or what your reputation is but also in how you communicate it and how professional you are and you know build that confidence with that person
0: Yeah. And I think that would be, it'd be probably appropriate now to maybe talk about some good character traits of an instructor. So if you're going down this road, give yourself a hard look. And, you know, do you have, do you have the, like what Andy just talked about? Do you have the ability to, to be happy, you know, that somebody else is doing something, even though your dog's stuck in the car? That's, that's one of the big things with a trainer is your dog ends up getting fewer reps and fewer deployments because you're out there trying to help a new person as somebody did for you the first few months you were a dog handler.
1: Yeah. You know, your support, uh, I hate to say it that way, but you really are your support for everybody else. You are the guy that sets training up and teaches all the other people. And, uh, You know as everyone will say um you know if a dog does really good it's the handler who did it and if the dog screws up or is horrible it's the trainer who did it so you know you don't it's almost almost seems like a lose-lose proposition (laughs) sometimes so you have to be self-motivated you know you want a guy who's self-motivated who's going to want to get out there and do that job and is rewarded by the fact that the person he trained or the dog he trained is actually performing very well And not have to have people come pat you on the back. Not that it won't happen, that people will, you know, definitely thank you for the good work that you do. But but you know, you you can't always rely on that because it it may not come in as often as you would like or or feel it is appropriate. So you gotta be self-motivated. You want to be out there or selfless, as they say. You're doing this for everyone else.
0: And hopefully at this point of your your career. you have enough, you've found enough dope, you've, you know, deployed enough times and found enough bad guys that um, if somebody else goes and finds one, you're not going to be bummed that it wasn't you. Cause you know, you've almost been there, done that. It's, it never, it, it never is not fun and you never want to not be the person there. But I have a, I get a lot of joy, you know, when, when teams I've trained go out and they're successful and, you know, I'll get calls or emails and texts and they'll tell me they just found, found a guy or person or, or evidence or whatever. And it's, it's pretty fun. You know, I, and my, I get, I get a lot of fun having, uh, just that success and even though like you say your name's not attached to it it's that new team and I could care less if my name's attached to it but I I know I've found the dog and helped them and that's you know that's what we're paid to do
1: yep and and that's exactly the way you need to look at it you are you know you your reward comes from them doing well and, and you know it'll come back to you in the long run but uh, that's something to look for in yourself is are you prepared for that are you prepared not to be the the guy who actually did it but the guy who helped the guy do it? And uh, some people are, and some people aren't, you know. And, uh, yeah. you know, you have to be um, very organized. You want a person who's pretty organized and, and is willing to go out there and, and learn all these things that we just talked about in the first part of this conversation. So, uh, very few departments uh, really have a roadmap uh, to teach you how to be a trainer. I mean, the Utah Post and Canadian Customs of that had a great roadmap to teach you, but uh, the department themselves, there may not be. There may be, but there may not be someone there who says, "Okay, the first step to becoming a trainer is do this, and the second step is do this, and the third step is do this." Yeah, you kind of have to go hunt it down on your own these days, and in many departments. And again, there's probably some out there that'll make a liar out of me, but yeah. so, there's there's not a lot. I don't think. So I
0: agree. So I think that's a a, a hallmark of a good trainer, though, is when you're. When you're with somebody and you start thinking, you know, they might have only been a handler for a year, but you might think this person's got a lot of talent. I'm going to try and, you know, take them under my wing, if you will. And hopefully four or five years they're going to take, you know, take the next spot or whenever I leave, they'll want my spot or something. But I think think as a trainer, you know, you should always be trying to find somebody who's going to replace you at some point.
1: Yeah, and and that as that person you need to know that uh, you again as a self-motivated person you're going to have to go out there and kind of find these schools and find this experience to go out and see all these dogs and talk to all these people and and learn the different techniques potentially not from the guy that's yeah. there in your department but from a lot of other people out there so um you know you have to make the effort to go out and do it no one's going to Likely not, no one is going to walk up and say, here, go here and go here, go here and and kind of take you by the hand. You might have to hunt for it yourself and, um, you know, go to some great classes and maybe you go to some crappy ones. But either way, you got to go out there and and see what's going on. So uh, self-motivated. Let throw, let,
0: yeah, let me throw a couple of questions at you for kind of, there will be, these are these could be longer questions or longer answers, but we'll just kind of go through a few quick questions, a few quick answers. You have a group of, I know, I know you've experienced this, whether maybe when you were doing just a seminar or three days or when it's uh, something more familiar where you're at your own department, three or four or five handlers. And you got the one handler who, um, not from an attitude problem, but just simply has a hard, hard time, you know, getting, getting the dog to do what you want. Um, how hard has that been for you to, to kind of not get frustrated with those people?
1: It can be tough. it can it can be tough. Uh, you know you, you have to analyze if they're not doing it because they're not paying attention uh, or they're not trying or they don't really f- agree maybe with what you're saying. You got to figure out what it is, what is yeah. it that's causing them to have the trouble and see if you can solve it. And uh, always turn that uh, analysis of somebody not doing well into yourself. If yep. you're gonna blame the other person, you know, if you're going to put it out there that, well, I, you know, did my best with that crappy guy or crappy dog or whatever, um, you know, that, that's a cop out. You know, you're there to train them and and you need to look within yourself and figure out what is it that I have to do or could do to make this better, you know, for this yeah. person to learn better and to uh, and to have a better dog rather than uh, the, the blame them. Uh, exactly. Many times people do. So, yeah, always look within yourself. There's always a way to get it done uh and if you don't believe that you'll you'll leap to the conclusion that it's them and there's no getting better than what they have and and that's just not what training's all about so yeah try not to do that always look within yeah. yourself and, and and you should come out okay as long as you'll do that
0: especially like i said if it's not an attitude problem and they're just maybe sometimes people aren't as athletic or their timing isn't as good usually with reps it just they go a little bit slower but sometimes uh one of the advice I always have when people are taking that step to trainer is just because you could do it, that, that bears no bearing. It's can you train this person to do it? And how they get there might not be as pretty as you do, might not be uh, the same exact way. But as long as at the end they're performing well, you have to have the flexible mind that, all right, we got through that. Not how I would have done it, but we got through it. It's working fine. And and be flexible in, in how you look at people and how you look at you know the training methodology sometimes.
1: Yeah. And be motivational. Um, You know, uh, training a dog is up, up and down. It's like a roller coaster. You know, one, some dogs will do really well in certain parts. And when you add some new wrinkle into it, they do a little worse. And as they work through the wrinkle, they do really good. And then you add another new wrinkle and they do a little worse, but at all times it's always on a growth, but, but you'll do some ups and downs and what will appear to be, you know, go in the wrong direction potentially to a new handler, which could cause some some doubt and some fear and some anxiety in them, they're looking to you for that confidence. They're looking for you to know that, yeah, this is expected. You know, this will happen. We will get through this. All you got to do is, you know, these things and stay positive. And the more positive and confident you are, the more they will do better. Uh, if they know and trust that what you're telling them is going to work, they will absolutely do it. Um, so make sure you stay as positive as you possibly can, no matter no matter what's going on. And and like I said, explain to them it'll be a roller coaster. It's going to go good, and it will have some bad days. Don't panic because of the bad days. <laughs> they'll come and they'll go.
0: Let me twist that question just a little bit. You have a person who's uh, not doing well or maybe they're not participating and, you know, maybe they've been around for a little while and you've set up training and this is uh, based on attitude. You know, just maybe it's not like we said earlier, we talked about confidence and maybe uh, this person doesn't have the confidence that you know what you're doing. So you've got a, a training group maybe within your own agency and you've set something up and Handler B says, nope, not for me.
1: Hmm. Wow. You mean he's just not going to do it?
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, wow. Well, uh, you know, that's that's more conversation time then. <laughs> you know, why? <laughs> yeah. You know, is it a personal a personality conflict between you and that person? Is it that they can't do it because, uh, you know, they don't feel like their dog's going to perform well and they don't want to appear as though they're not doing, you know, that, that their dog isn't doing very, very well? Is that what's going on? Or are they... Um, put it are they just lazy and they don't want well, to? so do I guess that?
0: you're I, you're going to answer my, my question I think it would be you know I, I I think um that's one of the things as a trainer you know maybe you're a little bit blindsided by that and you got five cops down there looking at you and one guy decides to be an ass that day and I'm not going to do it I think you know might piss some of us off but I think where you're you know instead of getting pissed you're just going to start analyzing well why why isn't this you know let's go down the road try and figure out what's going on here you know and I think I guess my point of that question is that you, you are faced with some things sometimes that maybe, maybe it's going to feel a little sideways to you, but you just have to bite your tongue and realize, you know, don't take, don't think things too personally with it. You know, maybe there's a whole nother reason why, why this person's behaving that way.
1: Yeah. You know, everybody has goods and good and bad days. I mean, our course uh, for a new handler is 10 weeks long with the dog and I have the dog a few weeks before that. So, um, you know, I teach the dog a little bit to get them to a level and to make sure I think they'll pass the course, and then we go out and teach the handler. Um, to, you know what you know what to do and how to train the dog. So we we kind of train the dog and the handler at the same time uh, to try and get them to understand. You know exactly how it works, and many times, many many times. Um, you know, you'll have over a 10 week period, people have ups and downs, you know, personal life will get in the way, all kinds of things. So you can't take anything personal. If they come to work and not want to be there that day, you know, it happens. And, you know, and uh, there's nothing wrong with that. It's life. And, uh, you know, you do as best you can with what you got. And there's going to be days that you come and maybe you don't want to be there that day either. So, you know, try to do as good as you can do and, you know, stay focused on the yeah, cost. when I'm
0: faced with that kind of thing, sometimes I'll, you know, I'll talk to the handler and, I mean, depending on if it's just maintenance training or something and it's not going on all the time, but if for some reason you know they're just not, not into it that, that day and it's an unusual thing for them to be that way, I'll tell them, you know, if you just need to go work the street tonight, just go do that. You know, because... When people are in that mood, you know, there's no training is going to happen. And then what I don't want them to do is bring down the rest of the training where people are trying to get stuff done. If it's a, something that's going to happen all the time, well, then, you know, I might have to go to a supervisor or something like that, which would be, you know, down the road before I ever want to do that. But, but I guess, like I said, I asked a question just to show that, uh, sometimes you, you know, it's, it's, it's not all the dog training. And sometimes there's some personality conflicts and depending on how, um, you're assigned as a trainer. You know, many of us are, you know, either the, the same pay grade or maybe just a slight pay grade above, you know, like a corporal or something, but not, not necessarily a, you know, a, a rank above. A lot of times, so that's where some, um, you know, where you got to kind of have to, to earn the trust of everybody. That you know what you're doing, and and you don't really have some of the, you know, the rank behind you to force it. So you have to basically, you know, be very confident and confident in what you're doing.
1: Yeah. And you really don't want to force anything when you're teaching someone. I mean, to order someone to do something is not going to get them to understand it or want to do it or learn from it. So you always got to remember they have to want to do it and you have to make it fun and that they want to do it. Uh, So, you know, you know, not coming at it from "I told you to do it attitude and more of, uh, you know, trying to figure it out and, you know, lead, Um, you know, there's, you can lead from behind or you can lead from out front. And, you know, generally leading from behind is the guy who I told you to do it this way, so you do it, and that's not really my way or or what I would think would be a great way. Uh, it may get the job done in a quick amount of time, but it it may not be the best way to go about it. So, as far as I'm concerned, you wanna you wanna be out there motivating them and getting them to do all the right things so that you and get keep, a better hand. Keeping handle. your own
0: dog up, you know, don't don't use the excuse that he's not giving me reps because I'm training and now that my dog looks like crap when I go out to do something. So I think that's a big thing too. Your dog doesn't have to be the best dog in the unit, but he should be, he should be sharp and he should do, you know, all the exercises that you're, you're showing a brand new guy.
1: Yeah. And, and, but use it to your advantage. So if your dog has an issue, um, develops an issue or something that happened that you did wrong, um, try not to hide it. I mean, go right at it. You know, show the people that you're training that, hey, you know, if you don't do it right. (laughs) Yeah, or do yourself
0: screw up. You know, I don't have a problem with one of them saying, hey, you just did what you told me not to do.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, show them that, you know, it happens. It happens to everybody and everybody has something to work on. You can't... uh, yeah, no one's perfect. Just because you've been doing it for 25 or 30 years doesn't mean that you're going to always do it perfectly every time you get out there. And, uh, you know, everybody needs practice and to uh, try to strive for perfection, which we'll never reach. But as long as you're going that direction, or at least trying to go that direction, you're going in the right direction. So that's, you know, that's a key piece to go after. So,
0: so. I guess I'd, I'd wrap it up by one more thing that I would mention is that, um, you know, listen to your handlers. And I, I, you know, sometimes they'll come to you with, you know, I've got a, an obvious thing they need to fix and that's easy. But I think I told you one time I had a handler, he he had an issue that it wasn't that bad of an issue as far as when we finally got around to fixing it. I didn't think it was that bad of an issue. And I said, yeah, we'll get to it. You know, and a month later we'd done a lot of the training and he brings up to me again. And I just didn't, it didn't sink into me that how much it was bothering him so, and I knew it wasn't going to be too hard to fix based on the dog. I thought we will be able to fix this pretty quickly. You know, finally, one day I, I listened to him and I was like, wow, this is really causing this guy a lot of, a lot of stress to have his dog out. And he, you know, misbehaving in a way that, you know, we need to get on it. So we went out and we worked on it for a couple of days and got the, got the dog's head cleared. And I, I felt like kind of an ask because you know, here he's coming to me, asking me, hey, give me a hand. And because I didn't think it was a hard thing to fix, I didn't think it was as big of an issue. You know, I didn't listen to him. So if you're a trainer, you know, and somebody comes to you with something, then that is important at that point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You got to address whatever concerns they have uh, so that they go out there confident. Because that's the other part of what you got to do as a trainer is, you know, you can train them in training, but you also got to get out there and perform. And they they need to, uh, you know, be able to confidently do that. And if they don't have the confidence in themselves and their dog, they're not going to perform well on the street. So you know, it kind of reflects on the entire unit uh, each and every time someone goes out there. So you want to make sure they're all prepared when it comes time to go out on the street. And, and addressing their concerns, whether it's big or little, is important. Well, good point. Very good point.
0: So if, if you were in this situation, you're a trainer or you're a handler, and you wanted to go to a big networking event, can you think of some place where somebody could go to a big, huge event and talk to lots of handlers and trainers off the top of your head? Well, let's see.
1: Yeah, there's First probably one, one in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, that's going to be coming up in August of uh, 2020. It'll be a great one to go to our HITS conference. You'll get to see about 41 different instructors and uh, lots of different classes to go to throughout that time. You can pick and choose each and every class and and uh, you know sit in on a couple hours of lecture and videos and And then have just the fun of talking to over a thousand handlers uh, from around the country and around the world uh, to give you some experience and some exposure to all the different things out there in Cana.
0: and that the networking is probably one of the most valuable things not to mention there'll be a hundred vendors there and you get to put your hands on all the different equipment and a lot of times the trainers get to kind of push a little bit more for what type of equipment the youth's going to have so um, whether you're a handler, trainer, supervisor, whatever, there's going to be something for you at HITS. So HitsCanine.net has all the information. We're adding instructors every day. We're adding vendors every day. So check out HitsCanine.net. And as always, if you uh, want to talk to me about this show or HITS or anything else, just email me at Jeff at HitsCanine.net. And if you want to reach out to Andy, his is just as easy It's Andy at hits I'll put those in the show notes. So Andy, thanks for jumping on today. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll be in touch. We'll probably be putting out a few more updates about hits throughout the spring here.
1: Yep. Looking forward to do it again. If you're looking to make an investment in your canine career, come the hits 2020. There's no substitute for the real thing. Whether you're a new handler who's looking to learn more about dog training or an experienced trainer who's looking for new training ideas and techniques, come to HITS 2020 where the investment is well worth the return. HITS 2020 will have more classes and more vendors who give away more free raffle gifts and free cash than ever before. HITS is the world's largest canine seminar and is open to police officers and military members. Our experience makes the difference. You've been there, and we've been there too.